Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the DJ Sessions Presents the Virtual Sessions. I'm your host, Darren, and right now I'm sitting in the virtual studios in Seattle, Washington, and having a very special guest coming in from London today, DJ SKT. How you doing today? Hey, what's going on, Darren? You good? I am good. I am good now. I mean, I always love, you know, those last minute multitask site malware scan checks that you're doing while you're trying to do a live interview across, you know, seven different websites. But, you know, nothing ever goes crazy over here at all. <laughs> but how you doing? Good, good. I was going to say, I know that I'm now getting old because I have to phone younger people to say, hey, how'd you do this? Or how does this work? Or tiktok so i can imagine i can imagine i can feel your pain <laughs> i'm still trying to wrap my head around the tiktok one i'm a little bit of a foodie so i like to actually uh use tiktok to, when i'm making food in the kitchen and then take okay. all the little snippets of the different ingredients and then throw it in and then add the music to it i have not got into tiktok as much as i should have i know it's the big thing the, the big to do now to go viral uh we're looking at actually I got to get my editing team up to speed so we can start getting little snippets of the interview, like you and I talking from it, and then throw those up to TikTok. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get those out there and say, if you want to see more, come back to our website. Well, at least um, it sounds like you're making good use of, um, of TikTok anyway, because I spend my time looking at cats fighting with monkeys or – do you know what I mean? So at least you're doing something <laughs> constructive with it. <laughs> it was the first time. I remember it was a few months ago, probably maybe like three, four months ago. I was laying in bed. It was like 1130 at night. I said, let me just check out this TikTok thing. I started, you know how it goes. That scroll going. Next thing I knew, it was like 330 in the morning. And I was just laughing my ass out at all this stuff. Just going, okay, I get it. But, you know, people were always making small, short, funny videos online. I mean, YouTube making short, funny, small videos. Facebook, when, when Facebook got into video, Instagram video. Vine used to be out there. I don't remember yeah. Vine or not. Um, you know, but TikTok just kind of blasted it all away. And I'm still, like I said, trying to wrap my head around it. But luckily, I try to stay on top of everything technological. So it's usually everyone calling me, even though I'm the old guy now. <laughs> well, now I know who to call then. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and Ghostbusters. <laughs> Anyway, so you have been out and about. Um, you've had a, a career that has spent – how long have you been playing for? How long have you been DJing for? Because you started at a very young age. Yeah, probably like 15, 16 years now, which is crazy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you were around – was it 18 years old when you got started? Yeah, I started – how I got into DJing is I entered um, two competitions. I entered the Technics uh, UK DMC Under-18s uh, Championships where um, back in the day there used to be a really big thing. used to get a lot of video content of like the DJ scratching on turntables. So I entered like the Under-18 version of that and came like fourth in the country and that gave me the experience of playing in like some really like proper clubs at the age of – 16 and from that i just thought this is what i want to do you know um and around 16 17 um i met a guy who was like a promoter and did a lot of uh, events in london and through a lot of big parties and raves so what i used to do is i used to kind of flyer for him or i used to go out putting up like the massive posters up like on a friday saturday night and in return he'd give me like the first warm-up set and maybe like 
a couple of beers but because i loved it and i was around all these big djs and i was only 16 it was like um it was amazing so that's kind of how i got my foot in the door and then um i went to college at 16 and studied music technology at westminster kingsway which was really good did that for about 18 months and then by about 17 and a half, I was putting out my own records. So I was releasing, I was going to the factories, I was pressing up um, records on vinyl. And then I had like a little scooter, mopeds, and I was going around like all of London, dropping my records off at shops. Then I got like picked up by a distributor who was like, hey, look, we'll do this for you. And you give us a, a cut. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. There you go. And like it kind of just went from there. I started putting out white labels, remixes, bootlegs, um, and then I I got a few things signed, licensed, picked up, and then I kind of feel like I got thrown more into the corporate music world of hey, this is how it works, you know? Yeah, and and you, I was gonna say, I mean, being at such a young age, were you really supposed to be in these events <laughs> and in the backstage like? But see, you know, here in the States, or at least in Washington State, I used to work with a lot of uh, kids when I was in college, and, and they would be on my production crew. And the Liquor Control Board, which runs the 21 and over, you have to be 21 and over to be in a bar here, you know, there's a, there's a law that says if you're an underage performer or an underage worker, you are allowed to be there, but you have to leave immediately when your job is done. Oh wow! Um, so that way, like, yeah, if you're if you were a 16 year old and you're gonna go play a bar, you could play that venue. You just have to leave. You can't kick it and hang out at the venue afterwards, or be in Got the green room, or be anywhere on premise. Or let's say you're an 18 year old and you're you're getting your first gig doing some videography or some photography work, or or even stagehand work or something like that. You can be working that event. You just can't stay there and hang out once your shift is off and be on site. So I didn't know if that was some, some loophole they were getting you in on there or uh, if we did have any problems from the local police or government or council, then I would be shoved into the nearest cupboard. Yeah. Awesome. Well, now you're playing shows and you recently were just in Ibiza. Um, tell us about what it's like, being back out there in, in, in front of the crowds. Cause I saw some pretty good crowd shots. I don't know who does your video work for you, but whoever's working that, that mobile device or camera, you know, <laughs> is definitely getting some good shots. Guy called Gucci Daniels, who is um, sick, really, really good at what he does. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's been nice just to get back out to Ibiza and to all the islands. Really. I've been in Zante, Malia, Kavos, um, and a few others as well. And it's just nice. I think everyone's everyone's really excited to be back on holiday and it's ah oh, beaches. And so the whole vibe, everyone's up for partying and they just want to have a good time and they want to have fun. So the vibe has been really sick and it's been nice to get back to, you know, some kind of normality with the gigs and traveling and stuff. So yeah, it's I've missed it, you know, and it's nice, nice to be back. And um how long are you, you're based in London, but have you ever lived anywhere else and, and worked from anywhere else? I haven't. I mean, I travel a lot and, you know, before lockdown, I'd be in and out of my place, like where I am here. This is my house as well. So I've got like my bedroom, kitchen and um, 
So this is like my base, but sometimes I'll be in here, working here for a few hours, sleep, then I'm back to the airport, and then I'm away for three days, and then back for two days, and so I don't, I haven't really got to live anywhere else, um, but I travel quite a lot, but mm -hmm. I quite like having my base as well, if that makes sense. Absolutely. I mean, we've been doing our show here out of Seattle for the past 13 years, and now we're slowly uh, going to start expanding out into the so, real out of the world. We just launched a new division of our company down in, in the southwestern part of the United States, down in Phoenix, Arizona, which puts us in touch with Las Vegas, L.A., San Diego, nice. and that kind of thing to take care of the West Coast. But now we are looking to travel like we were talking a little bit before the show we're going to ADE for the first time this year, and we're Sick. super excited to be going to there. 400,000 people a day. I mean, uh, for seven days, we got an Airbnb two blocks away from the main facility. Really nice one. And um, taking my, my girlfriend, taking a friend of mine who is uh, one of our resident DJs, and another friend of mine will be meeting up with us there as well. So it's kind of going to be... Everyone says it's work during the day and party at night, but yeah, I've heard just take it slow. You know, because there's just so much to see and so much to do. And, there is. Uh, I mean, ADE was, uh, I feel like it was a big part of my career in a sense as well. When I first started going there, it wasn't like it is today. It was really, I doubt there was even like 30,000 attendees or people coming over. But I remember going there and I must have been like 21, 22 <laughs> and... I would never do it today, and I don't know how I had like the guts to do it back then. But I just interrupt people's meet because everyone would have a name badge, so it'd be like Mike from A and R Ministry of Sound talking to the head of Mixmag. So I just literally go in and be like, "Oh, hey guys, sorry to disturb you, but can I give you some CDs, USBs?" And but I, I kind of feel like there's there's so many contacts that like over there as well. I I, I made a lot of good contacts and just kind of shoved music into people's faces over there which um which helped <laughs> yeah and that's that's kind of one of the things that it's, it's we've been we used to work um you know before 2020 a lot of the artists that would come into seattle is how we would meet and we'd be doing like if you came to play seattle we'd be doing the interview with you in person yeah yeah, yeah. and a lot of people were not set up to do online interviews not like they are now Everyone's yeah. kind of like, okay, I got the microphone, I got the lighting, I got the camera, <laughs> I got my Twitch channel. They they got they finally understood what I was trying to tell everyone that we were doing for ten years. But now mm -hmm. that everyone's up to speed on that, that's where we we started looking at launching the virtual sessions. But we are going to be very excited to be on the ground in the place on that red carpet or you know microphone in hand, being able to say, here we go, and we're live, or we're we're here we're at at ADE, or we're here at. IMS or we're here at yeah. winter music conference or South by South, whatever it is, we're on the ground. Cause that's just one of the reasons why I got into this game was kind of like, I was always the video guy in the back of the club that would Go be ahead. sitting here going, how come there's no video cameras in here? How come yeah. nobody's recording this? You know? So, um, created the DJ sessions out of that, but speaking about being backstage and I know we, we talked a little bit about your history and growing up and to where you're at now. Um, Who's the most inspiring person you've ever met backstage? And, and tell us why that person was an inspiration to you. <clears throat> That's a very good question. I say DJ-wise and stuff, um, 
I feel like when I was younger, there wasn't really a lot of massive DJs like there is today with Calvin Harris um, and David Guetta. Back when I was kind of in school and, you know, the teacher would say, um, you know, hey, Johnny, what do you want to do when you're older? And Johnny would say, oh, I want to be an astronaut. And the teacher would say, great, Johnny. Hey, Steve, what do you want to do? And I'd say, I want to be a DJ. And they'd kind of be a bit like, no, like that's not a good idea, you know? So um, I kind of feel like it was it was a lot different. There were DJs like DJ EZ, um, Matt Jam, Jam Lamont, uh, Mike Roughcut Lloyd, like a lot of UK-based DJs. Then there was like the American ones like Armin Van Helden, Todd Terry, um, all of those guys that were doing their thing and Tiesto as well. That was kind of it. I mean, I loved um, all of all of those DJs. I got to meet like DJ EZ a few times and he was very inspiring mm. because he was very technical and what he was doing was um, kind of cutting edge in terms of his mixing, cutting, effects, looping. No one had really done that before. So he was someone that was kind of pioneering all, all those things. And you can look at a whole new generation of DJs now that have kind of taken that and added their own thing to it with all the new technology and it's like absolutely crazy but i don't think any of that would have been possible without djs like he's um and stuff around um someone else that i've met as well a good few times i'd, I'd call a friend is idris elba um he's really cool very inspiring and um just someone you can look up to in terms of like work ethic um everything that he does how he handles situations you know there's um there's a lot that inspires me you know with what he does as well awesome could to take a question from a viewer right now uh from a men dead's string hopefully i said that right what is your ultimate goal as a dj you know what I think nowadays just to have fun in terms of just to enjoy because I've been in situations and you can see other DJs and I mean, even look at, you know, Avicii RIP um, where I kind of feel like the most important thing in life is to enjoy and be happy. And obviously, yeah, you need to pay your bills and everything like that. But I've got into situations where I've just chased the money in production in DJing and then you end up playing at places that you might be getting a lot of money, but kind of suck or it's not really your thing, you know? So for me, my goal is just to enjoy everything I'm doing. And I think I really do believe that if you're enjoying what you're doing, you, you're really doing it with love and from a place of love, then the results that you'll get from that will be 10 times more as well. You know, do you feel that you are an inspiration to others? Um, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I've never really thought about that, to be honest with you. Um, I hope in a way that there's, um, you know, guys that are younger than me that look up to me and to what I do and are inspired by what I do. Yeah, for sure, man. Because, um, you know, that, that makes me feel like really cool to know that I'm having that effect, you know. What do you do to try to give your best, be the best and maintain your best. Is there a set regimen that that you have that says, okay, I, I get in and I, I 
Some people say they meditate. Some people say they go for walks on the beach. Some people say they exercise. What helps you keep maintaining your best and bringing 100% to the table every time you're doing something? You know what? I started meditating probably a year before lockdown. And um, that has been a really, really big help just in terms of keeping me focused, keeping my attention on something, kind of staying present um, and also being able to handle situations better uh, without getting stressed or angry or annoyed or too upset kind of keeps me very balanced and, and level headed and no matter what happens, I can kind of keep on moving forward without getting distracted by all the, the crazy stuff that's going on, you know? So I say that's been, a, to be honest, that's been a huge, a huge help. I know some people like go to the gym or work out. Um, but for me, yeah, it's been um, meditation, I'd say, has been probably one of the most helpful things. Is there something you would not be able to do? with it with your career something you would not be able to do without something that you is a necessity that you need uh for your career to be as successful as it is for me i guess that comes down to my state of mind in a sense in terms of if i'm in a good place then everything will flow the work, the productions, the remixes, you know, the radio shows. If I feel stressed or I, I feel a little bit off balance, then, oh, I don't know how this sounds. Is this mix okay? And then everything can get a bit crazy. So I'd say that. And then secondly, probably my dog who's <laughs> asleep, in, asleep down there. I'll try, and, um, I'll try and get him in later so you can see. And speaking of the radio show, that's with uh, Kiss FM UK, correct? Yes, I'm on there every Thursday, 9 p.m. UK. 9 p.m. UK. That's uh, 1 p.m. our time, I think. <laughs> Got you. Awesome. No, it's it's always um, you know just getting you know like I said, we used to work with a lot of artists, and they always would be on our schedule. They'd always be on our time because they were coming to our city. You know, so it's easy. Like, oh, let's do an interview at 7 p.m. and now trying to figure out the biggest ones for me are when you go uh, the other direction, when I go West and start oh, okay. going over to like Japan or Taiwan or yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Singapore or something like that. And I'm like, we get the dates screwed up because they're on a, they're a whole day ahead of us well, also, know, or, or a day that, behind us. I can't really see. I get it. Screwed up. We're uh, ahead of you. So yes. Like, you're, you yeah. are, you're, should be about, Oh, what about nine, eight, eight thirty there almost nine. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 20 past seven. There you go. 20 past seven. All right. Yeah. I yeah, find it works. most confusing when the clocks just go forward or backwards. <laughs> and then that completely changes. So for us, LA and New York, we're a different time apart in the winter than summer. <laughs> so that gets really confusing as well. If, if I was to tune in to your radio show and you could describe the sound of your show in three words, how would you describe it? Energetic, fun, and just like a good vibe, you know? And try maybe accessible in a sense. And I did have a question here, right here from uh okay, this I don't know, I'm gonna try to pronounce that begins with a V, but when you're not entertaining others, 
what do you do to entertain yourself? You know what? It's funny because at the moment, I suppose music is, it just consumes me. So even if I've got some free time, then I want to work on some stuff that I want to work on because I've got an idea if that makes sense. Whereas during the week, it might be right. Radio show Monday, press stuff Tuesday, sessions Wednesday, Thursday. So by the time it comes to like Friday, Saturday, if I haven't got a gig, then I'm like, oh, great. I've got a day to work on all these ideas I've got. So to be honest, it's it's kind of been just music, music, music um, the last couple of years at least. Mm-hmm. And how many tracks do you produce in a month and how many end up being released on, on average? You know what? It's probably a small percentage of stuff that I make that gets released, um, depending on the time of year. So from this month or going into October, November, December, I'll probably be in the studio working, doing sessions, songwriting with different artists probably like four days a week. And then the other time will be kind of mixed downs, getting the demos kind of consolidated in there to send off to the labels. So um, in the kind of off season winter, it's a lot. And then when it comes to the summer, like from April to September, it's more kind of touring press live stuff, you know? So um, it kind of depends on the time of the year. Mm-hmm. was the biggest crowd you ever played for also your best crowd you played for i think it was the most scariest i remember actually the biggest crowd i played for was it was a couple of years ago at a v festival which used to be virgin uh festival okay and my agent was like oh i got you a set i was like yeah brilliant cool and in my head, I thought, ah, well, like, I'm not really that well-known. I'll probably be on, like, the small tent next door. And so, like, literally, it was on, like, a Friday. I drove there, didn't prepare anything because I thought, ah, it'd be fine. I'll get there, just plug in, and I'll probably be in a small tent. So I got <clears> around the back of the tent, and there was, a, there was like, a, a few stewards there with, like, earpieces on. And suddenly I heard a massive, like, roar, as if I was at, like, a sports event, like a a a soccer game. And I said to the guy, I was like, how many people's out there? And he was like, oh, uh, about 60,000 at the moment. And I was like, are you joking? So I literally (laughs) ran in, like, my dressing room trailer thing. I had about an hour, and I was like, I've actually got to prepare. There's a hell of a lot of people out there. And um, I did it, and the gig was really good and stuff. Um, I think when the crowd is that big, it's very hard to get, uh, like, a sense of how everything's going. It's more kind of like you're playing. You've got massive speakers up on the stage with you, so you're very much in your own world of, like, I'm trying to get this right for these people out there, but it feels a lot harder to connect with the audience. Whereas sometimes if you play at like some basement party with like 200 people there, the vibe will just be insane, you know? So, um, they're both good fun and they're both exciting, I guess for different reasons, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. It's fun. I always love it when our audience doesn't know that I do not send the questions of our show 
to the guests beforehand. Yeah. So I always love it when you just segued into one of my next questions I was going to ask, <laughs> which is, have you ever felt scared while playing an event? <laughs> you tell us this the time you're at, you know, doing the, the, the show. And yeah, it could be very intimidating. Um, you know, I, I'm not a stage performer myself, but I remember doing a lot of AV work and having to get up in front of large crowds of people. And you're like, usually the only reason you're going up there is because like a battery has died in a microphone or something technical is going wrong. So the whole audience is, they're kind of like booing or they're upset or something's going on. And you're kind of like, this isn't even my fault. We didn't, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, but you're like taking responsibility for, it. but then the whole crowd cheers and they're like, yeah, because the show is going back on. I do want to take a small little break here. Um, do you know the name David Pym? No, I don't think so. David Pym, I'm halfway oh, yeah. through your master class with Tool Room Academy. Just wanted to say, hit sick, bro. I just wanted oh, to drop geez, that David. shout out in there. David's still watching. Um, nice. And now we have the cat infiltrating the studio. So if a big cat jumps in front of the way here, Yama's trying to get in the show. Nice. So, yeah, we like cats in the show. I got two of them. I'm watching my friend's cats right now. It's okay. It's a live show. That's why anything goes. So <laughs> here's a question for you. <clears throat> How do you deal with fame? I mean, I, you know what? Like, I'm not really into fame. Like, it's not something I like. I don't really want to be famous. I don't understand the desire to be famous. I find it strange obviously with what i do there's a certain amount of attention mm -hmm. um but i don't i don't do that much for the sake of doing it if that makes sense um i will if i won't do any i won't do much publicity for the sake of doing it do you see what i mean so unless there's mm -hmm. like a reason or it makes sense or it's something that I want to do. Um, I tend to try and keep out of, of that press and stuff like that in the UK because I'm just not that interested. Whereas other people in my position chase it and they want to get in the tabloids and newspapers <laughs> and that's cool. But it's just, it's just, uh, it's just not for me. You know, I don't know if I'd want to be in the tabloids. <laughs> Some people lo love it, you know, it's kind of like, you know, I don't get it, but like each, you know, there's, I haven't got a problem with it. <laughs> I might, I might take a, I might take being, being a viral TikTok. That would be pretty awesome. <laughs> Depends what it's doing. Right. So if it's something, if it's me making a track and that goes viral, then great. You know, mm -hmm. um, if it's me doing something that's not, relevant to what i love then i it wouldn't it wouldn't interest me does that make sense oh absolutely absolutely no i mean it, it's uh, it's all relative i would want to be known like for something maybe funny or outgoing or this is kind of cool yeah, yeah. Um, but i don't tabloids to me are always like you know britney spears or somebody like shaving her head or something you know doing some crazy balls out stump but i guess there was a uh, there was an article or not an article there was somebody recently that came out it was a few months ago i was talking about this and female performer the label tells her hey we just released your album we need you to go make a viral video on tiktok for this so it can get a bunch of hits she made a video that actually went viral but the video was why is my agency why is my label asking me to make viral videos 
because that's not my job <laughs> to make my that's own videos for them to release this. That's their job as the label to help promote. I'll promote, but you know, it was very, it was kind of a backlash in a sense. And she got a lot of support on it. It's like, yeah, I shouldn't have to be doing these things to, you know, make crazy videos or be, you know, but it's part of the mix now. And, and that yeah, led yeah. me to another story that I was reading that, you know, back in the day before social media, um, you know, you spent a lot of time on production, uh, networking. It was 80% making the music and 20% PR and, and social media and all that. Nowadays, it's like 80% social media and 20% yeah. the back end, you know, and having that strength of, of being up there. And when we just went through and we're revamping our whole brand over the last year, you know, and making sure we had our PR contacts, our write-ups, not tabloids, but definitely strong articles, you know, written on us and, and getting our name out there. And we've seen a, a, an uptick in, in going in that route. So um, don't know what happened there. May have lost him because his camera, my camera battery, I think my camera died. Might have died. <laughs> You're still on the microphone. So we're all good there. Um, hey, there we go. Okay, cool. We're on, the, we're on the MacBook Pro camera now. <laughs> the backup cam. Yeah. Technical things happen during live shows, but it's okay. <laughs> so, um, you know, just how influential social media has really become over the years, how essential it is that, you know, I, I recently, I have these talks with DJs all the time and, you know, they're like, how do I get booked on out of state shows? Or, like or even our resident DJs. And I'm like, you know, the truth is guys, if you have 500 people following you on Instagram or a thousand people, maybe following you on Instagram, they have somebody in their hometown and they got 4,000 people following them on Instagram and they have a bunch of friends of people they can knock on doors and get people to come down to the show. Why are they going to book you if they can get a local and probably pay the local? They're not going to pay writer. They're not going to pay hotel room, airfare, any of that yeah. and get them local for maybe a few hundred bucks or, you know, two fifty, three, or whatever they pay uh, as opposed to flying you in for 1500 to 2000, you know, even if you're just starting up. And, you know, how do, how do DJs launch their own tour? How do they get out there? I've told a lot of people, you know, just self-finance your own tour. Go knock on some nightclub stores. Talk to local area promoters. Get out there and, and basically make your own tour happen. And, yeah, yeah. and the ones that I see doing that, they are starting to get booked in other cities now because yeah, they've yeah. made that connection. And they said, yes, I'll pay my airfare. I'll pay my hotel room, my food and all that stuff. Just get me there and get me on your lineup. And you know, work it back and forth that way. It's very interesting to see how that dynamic goes. But social media still is such a huge factor nowadays. Oh, sure. if, if there is something really messed up in the DJ scene, how would, how would we go about changing that? If you say one thing that's messed up or it is not great in the DJ scene, how, how would, do you think we could go about changing that? I don't know if you can. I don't know if it's a case of adapting rather than changing. You know, say for example, you know, I I feel like I've gone through a transition in my career where at the beginning there was no social media. When I first started blowing up, there was no online presence. There was a MySpace, but it you know it wasn't very influential. It was more about CDs where you were playing, what radio pirate radio stations you were on. So like. I've definitely seen a lot of changes and there's kind of two options. It's either sit there and say, oh, this sucks. Like people get getting booked because 
they've got loads of followers on Instagram, but they can't actually DJ or they're not very good at making music, but they've got this huge fan base. So you can kind of, for me, it's either, it kind of is what it is. And you either have to look at how you can make it work for you um, in a way that you enjoy it. And that is fun. Or you kind of have to find something else, you know, to, to be honest, you know, cause I've had to say, I've had to look at it in, in that way and being like, right, well, either I put some time and effort into social media and I try and get it to grow or I can't DJ, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's, and you know, it's so funny that over the years, people will actually, I'll do interviews. They'll think that I'm a DJ. I'm like, no, no, no. I, I'm an executive producer. I don't DJ, but we kind of made a faux pas, uh, a, a page on the site that labels me as a DJ on the site just to squash that thing. But I would never know how to DJ. But, you know, I'm not going to call out any names of some very famous people that are DJs now that, that DJ, but are they really DJing or are they having somebody – I came up with the idea years ago that I was going to be the world's first ever ghost DJ. DJ. <laughs> I was going to be up there on the board, but somebody else was going to be hiding or they'd make the mix for me. And I just get up there and just, they have that already. I, I know. I know. <laughs> I just thought it would be hilarious if, if, because there was always ghost producer, but not ghost DJing. So um, yeah, I think that would be interesting, you know, but that's the barrier to entry. What happens when the barrier to entry becomes so easy, you know, cause back in the day it was vinyl, you yeah. know, and you had, to, that's all there was, was vinyl. Unless you, I knew people that would take CDJs and they put two CDJs and put them into a mixer and then put the, put the songs in and mix off the CDJs. But there was no beat matching. There was no sync button. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You still had to kind of know what you were doing yeah, and yeah. it wasn't like you could, you could you could spin you know spin the CDJ and, and cue it up exactly with waveforms and everything, but people were doing that back then. But nowadays they say the barrier to entry is so so easy to get into. How do you feel about that barrier to entry and that, that ease a button or using that sync button that people so don't like? It's don't use the sync button. You're not a real DJ if you use. Sync. I mean, you know what? I think it's become two different skills now in terms of one skill is social media. So to be able to pop on social media, to know what's going to catch people's attention, to know what's kind of trending and how to sell something, I think is a skill within itself um, that's separate from, listen, I can make a really, really good record here. Someone might be able to sell it better than me because they've got 2 million followers. That means the record's going to be more successful with them than me. <clears throat> it's a shame. And, you know, I feel like, oh man, that sucks. But it is what it is today. <clears throat> I've had like major label A and R's come to me and say, you know, come in here and say, Hey, we need, we're looking for some music for um, this act we've just signed. Oh, cool. Like, who is it? Oh, he's like a big TikTok star. So basically, they're kind of taking that big TikTok star with the massive audience, coming to someone like me, getting the music, putting it into them, packaging it all up. And then they've got a, a direct direct outlet to market, which I kind of get, you know, like it, it for, for someone like me, it sucks in, in a sense. I can still make money and 
but you know it doesn't allow my brands maybe to to get out there as as much as um as others so for me it's about adapting and then looking at okay well what are some of these guys doing that are coming into my field so how are they making money because if they're coming into my space to make money where and you know if you look at a lot of them they might be youtubers or they might sell merch or you know they could have a uh, any number of things that's going on so I, I think what's important is to try and work out how you can make multiple revenue streams you know not just from for me it would be from production maybe from you know remixing original material <clears throat> sessions with other people um and then you know djing the publishing um, and just try, you know, merchandise, the record label, just trying to have multiple outlets so that you can try and grow everything rather than just relying on the one thing. Because like you said today, anyone can do it, you know, so it makes it a lot harder to rely on as, as you know, to pay the bills, you know, and if I'm having to compete with people that are coming into my lane and taking away, I kind of have to look at their lane and go, okay maybe i'll take some of theirs you know so um yeah i think these days you've just got to have like a number of a number of things going on you know and i'm going to take this is awesome because again you mentioned having multiple streams multiple uh, avenues multiple irons in the fire um and i think this is a great question because it was actually on my list of questions this is coming in from brocheg how do you envision your life in 10 years from now good question i mean ideally i don't know maybe yeah maybe 10 years i can imagine being very busy touring doing a lot of stuff um maybe living elsewhere in different countries and then kind of in 10 years time i'd like to have just a really big not a massive house but a big enough house like in the country where i've got like no neighbors and hopefully i'll have enough of a reputation where people will want to come to me to work out of where i am because it's worth it whereas at the moment if i go to the middle of nowhere and i'm like hey yeah i'm in oxford people are just going to be like uh yeah we're not coming there you know <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to visit Oxford. What are you talking about? I've never been to Oxford before. Is that in the middle of nowhere or something? I don't know. Yeah, like don't get me wrong, it's a nice place, but it's just it's not like everyone wants you to be on the doorstep or no one really wants to travel too far, you know? So you have to make it convenient for other people in order for them to work with you sometimes, you know? And speaking about travel or working with people or or the barriers of not having to travel through the advent of technology, things like obviously Zoom or what we're using Restream. Um, you know, obviously the internet is pretty much the, the big one here. Um, you you said you uh, before the show you do have a Twitch channel. Yeah. And are you actively doing things on your Twitch channel? I got really excited at the beginning of lockdown, and I bought some fancy studio lights, and I bought a camera. And then, like, I plugged it all in, and it was just something was breaking all the time. So I had, like, my decks over here, and I had, like, a little live stream, and it just it just was a nightmare. It just, everything kept on breaking, and then I just thought, I'm not enjoying this. Um, 
I'm not going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, I haven't really got into it, but it, it is something that, like, as I find the time and maybe as we get more into the winter, I think it would be fun to do more stuff like, you know, the Tool Room um, Live Academy I did, um, which was like a workshop on uh, production, like a production t- tutorial. Stuff like that I probably never would have done if it wasn't for the lockdown periods because I'd had other stuff going on and I would have been too busy. So I've been dabbling in a little bit and obviously doing stuff like this with you, um, you know, and I think if I if I really enjoy it and I see a benefit from it in terms of connecting with other people and people are inspired from it or people genuinely want to hear me talk or stuff, then, yeah, I'd, I'd definitely do more. Have you done anything in regards to virtual reality uh no i've used one of those oculus things and they're incredible see my fear is that i remember i I put one on and you could literally sit down and then you'd be in like the most beautiful beautifulest room and then in front of you is a tv so you can like watch tv in the virtual headset but I was like, this room's so nice that if I bought one of these, I'd literally sit in bed with this thing on and watch TV. <laughs> like, I would, do you know what I mean? So I kind of thought, I don't want to get in it because I feel like I just get, I just live in it. <laughs> the reason I ask, yeah, is, is I do, we've always, I've always been on kind of the forefront of emerging technologies, you know, when Sick. it was. You know, going from stepping up from public access television to broadcast television once the gear became accessible yeah. at a cost-effective price for us to do that. Then getting into video podcasting uh, when the video iPod came out by Apple and then getting into live streaming and then obviously the advent of social media taking its – where it's going with social media and being on, on the forefront of that with the exception of TikTok right now because – we do see virtual reality as being the next social thing uh, when it kicks on and it will kick on. It, yeah. the, the companies that are investing in this heavily um, are, are seeing this be the next, it'll be the next Nintendo. It'll be the next Atari, um, the next Xbox. Um, you know, we know all these companies are developing stuff, uh, whether it's Sony or Apple or Meta or Google or, you know, and whoever's out there is, is making these headsets, HTC, um, you know, and you're right. You get into some of these worlds and they're very immersive. They're very, I could, I could kick it here and I could have some fun and just chill. We yeah. ourselves have two VR nightclubs that we're launching right now. They're wow. in a soft launch right now. And um, we're getting ready to, to grand open them here um, shortly. Uh, I guess I'm, I, I'm seeing here that, Giacomo Bonacorisi Cor- Corsi says hi. <laughs> hey. Hey, give it a little wave up. <laughs> I always like bringing the viewers in as much as I can. If I'm seeing the chat room just going crazy, because we got like four different chat rooms going on and one merge one over. We've got Facebook chat going on. We've got Twitch <laughs> chat going on. So it's all moving by really fast. I'm keeping again, my eye on, on some of the uh, some Yeah. Of the again, pretty, tech- um, pretty good. Yeah, technology, you know, is is definitely, you know, something that's going to bring us again closer together. And we're just seeing that virtual reality do that, and and also augmented reality. I think that's yeah. going to be something to watch for in 2023, if not 2024, where you're going to start having concerts, events, outdoor events, places, 
you're going to put on your glasses and you're going to see a whole different experience yeah, than yeah, what yeah. you'd see if you were just there as a normal participant. And um, going to be some huge opportunities there. Um, well, you know, is there anything you'd like to let our DJs? You know what? Actually, I got one question before I go. Yeah, go for it. You know, I was going to finish up the show, but I forgot. I had one question. It was down on my list here, and it was just down on the second page. If someone were to write a biography about you, what do you think the title should be? <laughs> In a way, I feel like I feel like it's taken me. I feel like where I am in my career, it's taken me, it's been a lot of like stop, start, stop, start. And I feel like maybe 50% of that has come from my own mistakes or going this way, that way. And just kind of not, not really knowing what I'm, I'm doing. If, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, So maybe something like, don't try this. (laughs) Don't try this. Like the wrong way to do things, but the right way, you know, like the trial and error. Yeah. Trial and error. That sounds quite a cool title in a way. You know, we're going to take one last question here from from an interviewer because I know you just played in Ibiza. What is your favorite spot in Ibiza? Oh, good question. I mean, the thing is, there's so many good spots in Ibiza. Like, I was in Pasha recently. Um, I DJed at O Beach um, at the weekend. Um, Amnesia is amazing. Really, really good. Pasha is sick as well. Um, High is amazing. Ashwaya is Like, they're all incredible. But, like, for kind of slightly different reasons, DC-10... Um, I went to uh, trick Patrick Toppins night at DC 10 when I was over there. That was really, really good. So um, to have a single one, maybe Amnesia, just because that was the first place I played in Ibiza. And so that was like a really big deal. And that was for Defected as well. So um, that was um, that was a really kind of crazy experience. And one last one other question we're going to ask here. What's what can we find on your writer? What's the craziest thing you think that you have on your writer? <laughs> it's funny. Someone, an agent, sent me a writer over literally the other day, and it it was a real writer, but obviously it's a joke. So there's like loads of, you know, they're asking for like drugs and stuff like that. On <laughs> my writer's pretty. To be honest, I just keep it very like Red Bull, water, alcohol, Coca Cola. And I just kind of leave it at that. Maybe I kind of feel when you've got a big record or like when you're having those big moments, I feel like that's when you can kind of be like, all right, cool. I'll put some stuff in here or like take the pee a little bit, you know, but at the moment my ride is very just straight. I, I feel as well with the times we're in at the moment, promoters get very stressed as well. And I'm, I just kind of want to make everyone's life easy. <laughs> awesome. Well, one last shout out we're going to give here from Villa Pando Ortiz saying, DJ SKT, keep pumping those awesome tracks. Chi Town representing. 
Nice. Wanted to get that one in there for you as well. Is there anything else you want to let our DJ Sessions fans know before we let you go? Yeah, I mean, I've been working on loads of music. I've got so much stuff coming out. Um, I've got a release out next Friday on Good Company called Club Tonight, um, which is really cool. I've got a collab with a guy called Mark Maxwell that's coming out in October next month on uh, Club Sweat sweat it out which is a really cool australian dance label that have been doing loads of really cool stuff at the moment um and then yeah going into next year just working on so much stuff so i'm, I'm really looking forward to the next kind of 18 months or so a lot of like international shows coming up going into next year so um yeah just keep in touch via the socials at djskt and also spotify uh, DJ SKT for the kind of latest news and, and tracks and what's going on. Absolutely. And thank you so much for coming on the show. And we'll be seeing you at ADE in yeah. just about a month and a half. Super yeah. excited for that. We'll have to connect there as well. So thank Definitely. you again for coming on the show. And we'll follow up with you every six months. We're going to stay in contact with everyone that comes on the show. So we'll be definitely knocking on that SKT door here in the near future and Sounds find out good. what's going on with you. Even if it isn't at ADE, we'll get it later on down the road. So thank you again for coming on the show today. It was a pleasure having you. No worries at all. And on that note, don't forget to go to our website, thedjsessions.com. Find us on TikTok, Instagram, Meta, Twitter. We're out there everywhere. Thedjsessions.com, even on Roku, Amazon Fire, and Google Play, and soon to be Apple TV. And don't forget about our VR nightclubs. And we have over 600 news stories published every month. Once an hour, we have a new story going up to the thedjsessions.com website. Live interviews and exclusive mixes and more at thedjsessions.com. This is Darren coming to you from the virtual studios in Seattle, Washington, and DJ SKT coming in from London for the virtual sessions. And remember, on the virtual sessions, the music never stops. <laughs>